Well, thank you so much. We, uh, I think, I think I can safely say that on behalf of the staff, we love working here. We love uh, the opportunity to serve in this place, uh, in this people that, that God has called us to. And, and I try and keep that as something we talk about on occasion at staff meetings, is that um, this isn't just a job, it, it, it's a calling. Whether you're in a pastoral position, or if you're answering the phones, or if you're looking after children, or music, or whatever the area may be, it, it's truly a calling to come serve a people. And so I, I, I honestly believe that, uh, that we all see it that way, and uh, therefore count it a privilege to, uh, to be here among you. Thank you so much for that. And what a great way to... Uh, to kind of come into this final week before Christmas with the choir singing. That was great. Um, you know, tomorrow will be kind of my three-month anniversary of being here. And one of the first things that happened before I started was I had a meeting with, with Marissa and Zach and, and Luke to talk about the Christmas season. And, and Marissa was really eager to, to see, what do you think of the choir? <laughs> you can kind of probably guess how that conversation went. Because, hey, here we are. Here we are today. And uh, so it's interesting to see three months down the road. There's, and that gives you an idea of how much work goes into um, to acquire preparing some songs for a day such as this. So we're very grateful. Thank you so much for, for leading that this morning. Well, here we are in our final week of the Advent series. This series that we've been calling Tune Into Christmas. Where each week we are grabbing one traditional Christmas tune and unpacking that a little bit for the purpose of understanding the history and the message behind these very common Christmas songs that we sing each year, in the hopes that they would not just further give us knowledge about the songs, but they would actually draw us further into the season, and, and also hopefully draw us further into worshiping the purpose, and as they say, the reason for the season, that being Jesus Christ. If you have been with us, You'll recall that a few weeks ago we started this off with the first week we talked about the song, O Holy Night. And the theme of that song we focused upon was that Jesus Christ is the thrill of hope for a weary world. That even when we are in the midst of a weariness in this world, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have reason to rejoice because of the thrill that comes from knowing him. The next week we talked about the song, O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. And we focus that day upon how our relationship with Jesus Christ gives us an ability, makes us able to truly be faithful, joyful, and triumphant in a way that the world can never offer to us, in a way that is only available through Jesus. And then last week we had the children's choir who also performed Friday night, and that was a wonderful event to, to come out and enjoy. And they sang a very familiar song, Away in a Manger. And even though that was a, a, a simple children's song, it probably had one of, the, one of the stronger messages that went with it. As we consider the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? To not just have sort of a partially surrendered life, but to have a fully surrendered life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we've uh, received a number of comments and responses from people in, in light of last week's message. Thank you for so many of those. It's a true joy to know that that what we're doing here Sunday morning is not just offering worship up to God through song and word, but is also having an impact, a transformal factor upon your life from, from Monday through Sunday. And so thank you for those comments that we've received throughout the week, in particular about last week's message of those wanting to live and see what the next step would look like to live a fully surrendered life. Now, if you missed any of these or would like to hear those messages, again, they're available at the website at westmeadows.org. You can also find more information about our Christmas Eve and our Christmas Day service on the website there too.
Now this week we have the opportunity to look at one more. One more song which is a personal favorite of mine. And from others I've talked to in the congregation, it is a personal favorite of yours as well. And you can probably guess what that is because it's printed on the front of your bulletin. Plus the choir already sang it for us. Is the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, not only is this a favorite of many, many people, it's also by far the oldest song that we're singing, that we're focusing upon throughout this Advent series. In fact, it's hard to date it exactly. Some say it's from the 9th century, uh, some as late as the 12th. But we know it was well before the 12th century, anyways, that these words were first penned in Latin. And this is during a time when churches would sing, but not, not singing like we do now. It was more of a kind of a chanting that they would do. They would, they would chant phrases, and they would chant scripture, and quite often, what they would chant, these phrases they would chant, would start with the word, oh, oh, come, that kind of a, a sound that goes with it. And they became known, this practice became known as the O antiphons. And example being, O come, O come, Emmanuel, is that, that O starts each of the phrases. Now, if you look at the full song, there's actually seven verses that go with it, and each one beginning with that O sound, leading into each, each one. And they would begin singing this song seven days before Christmas, because it's a song of Advent, it's a song of anticipation, a song of preparation for that Christmas Day. And so seven days beforehand, they would start singing these seven verses leading towards Christmas Day. Now, in the 12th century, these, these chants, these words were put to music, and then they fell into a bit of obscurity until the 18th century when they were rediscovered and translated into English, very similar to the English version that we have today. It's really gone very much unchanged since the, uh, since the 18th century. And that's why when we sing that song, it has that bit of a... Bit of a um, kind of a monastic feel to it, kind of a monastic sound of, of chanting. Uh, one of my favorite versions I found of this actually was of monks singing that song, and it just seems to perfectly fit the, uh, the, the feel of the song and the words that are there. But as we focus upon this song today, what we're going to narrow down onto is actually the title, in particular one word within that beloved song's title, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word that's familiar to many of us. And we know that that Hebrew word, Emmanuel, means God with us. And so when we're singing this song, when we're saying those words, what we're actually saying is, Come, Lord, be with us. Come, Lord, we long for your presence. And this is similar, perhaps, to some prayers that we pray. If you think about the nature of your prayer life, the types of things you pray for, this is at times the nature of what we're praying for. Oh, Lord, come. We might say, God, be with us. Another way of putting that. We might, in our prayer life, say, God, be with us as we go shopping at the mall this afternoon. Because the parking spots will be taken. And I don't want to drive around for an hour (laughs) trying to find one. We might say a prayer like, oh, God, be with me as I go on this blind date. I pray he's not a creepy psycho, (laughs) right? Oh, God, be with me as I write this final exam. This past week, some of our students were writing exams. Oh, Lord, be with me as I write this exam, even though I chose to go out last night instead of studying. I I don't know how God deals with those ones, but I know at the least he will help you to deal with the disappointment of the mark that you end up with, (laughs) right? Now, there's many, many things we pray for. This is just a sample. I'm sure there's many more serious moments that we pray for. And we ask and invite God to be with us. 
but we're also familiar with the meaning of this word because this word Emmanuel is such a prominent part of the Christmas story that we focus upon each year. We first read about this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, where Joseph learns that Mary's pregnant. Now just imagine for a moment the thoughts and the feelings going through Joseph at this time. He has just, he has this young lady he's been pledged to marry. And so he and she and all of their families are filled with excitement and the plans are taking place in anticipation of a few months down the road when they will live together finally. But then that's all been replaced now with questions and thoughts of betrayal. But Joseph's a good guy. So he decides, you know what, I'm not going to make this seemingly bad situation worse. Instead, I'm just going to quietly set a plan in motion where we'll just kind of go our own separate ways. I don't want to add any undue harm to the situation. But even though that plan is in place and set in motion one night as he's sleeping in a dream, an angel of the Lord appears to him. It says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, because that child that she is with is of the Holy Spirit. And then the angel goes on to describe the child a little further by saying, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the prophet that Matthew is referring to here is the prophet Isaiah from over 700 years earlier. When Isaiah stood in the presence of King Ahaz, at a time when Ahaz, king of Judah, he and his nation were coming under the threat of attack from surrounding regions and surrounding kings. And he was fearful they were going to be conquered like everyone else around them. But then the word of the Lord came to him through the prophet, and the Lord said to Ahaz, that will not happen. That will not take place. You will not be defeated. In fact, in time in the days ahead, your enemies will be destroyed, not you. And so as Isaiah delivers the word of the Lord, as Isaiah delivers this promise to Ahaz, this sense of God is with you. God will rescue you. From your enemies. That gave Ahaz and the nation a great sense of trust and confidence and assurance because of the Lord. Because God was with them in that moment. And now as amazing as that story from the Old Testament is, it finds its final fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the Christ child through whom God is with us in a new and miraculous way, but is still the one in whom we can place our trust and our confidence. And so today, as we consider our own experiences in light of this amazing statement that God is with us, it's my prayer that you will be convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that regardless of where you are in this moment, in this season, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will know that God is, God was, And God will be with you in this season and beyond. So let's focus on the first thought that goes with that word. The reality of the statement, which is, God is with you. God is with you. Now in Luke's account of the events surrounding the Christmas story, he tells us very early on. In fact, early on, around the time when the 
angel appear to Mary, and the angel says these words to her. The angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, as you know, the message that follows these words will be very shocking. In particular, shocking for, for Mary, who at this point is, is essentially a junior high girl. And the angel appears and says to her, You have favor with God. You are going to conceive a son, and that son will be a, the son of God. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, at the time of naming children back in that season, names had significant meaning. It wasn't just sort of a random, you know, what, do I, what kind of name do we like? You would look at the events and the definitions of names to apply the name to your child. And so when the angel is telling her, you will name him Jesus, all Hebrew-speaking people knew what that name meant. They knew that that name meant Savior. And now considering that this is the name of the child and all the events around the conception and the birth of this child, it's pretty clear, even to a junior high girl, that this is a messianic promise that is coming. Now, as, as heavy as that message may be, isn't it interesting that the very first thing that the angel says to her is this, the Lord is with you. Before anything else is mentioned, the Lord is with you. He begins his statement with this words of reassurance. Reassuring Mary. Saying, Mary, before I go any further, before I do anything else, Mary, before I say another word, Mary, the Lord is with you. Now I know that there are people here today who need to hear those words. There are people who need that reassurance in these moments, whether you're going through a difficult time or if you're going through a season of struggle, that you need to know that if you are hurting, if you are fearful, if you are confused, if you feel like it's time to give up, I want you to hear those words today, that God is with you. He is with you. If you've been with us for a little while, you'll remember that a few weeks back in our previous sermon series, at one point I spoke about the Holy Spirit. And when we look at the word Holy Spirit in Scripture, quite often the word that's translated there is the word paraclete. And if you recall from that series, that word means to come alongside of. Such as in the phrase parachurch organization. It is not the church, but it comes alongside the church. Or paralegal. It's not the attorney, but a person who comes in support of, comes alongside the attorney. And we know this understanding of having one come alongside of us in the impact, the comfort, the reassurance that comes from that. We see this in all sorts of areas of our lives. Even when we're young children. If you were, when you were a young child or if you have young children, at some point, I imagine, they call out to you middle of the night, Dad, there's a monster under the bed. Dad, there's something in the closet. There's something trying to get in my window. And then Dad comes in and looks under the bed and checks the closet, looks out the window and says, no, no. There's nothing there. It's just a branch on the window, or, or it's just a stuffed animal that fell under the bed. Or if you end up at an Oilers game and you see their new mascot, Hunter, and it's terrifying to you, if you've seen him or not, but he is terrifying. And these little children run to their moms, and they want their moms to help them get away from the new mascot. Now, we all know the comfort of a caring parent, of an older brother, of a, of a close friend, but I want you to understand that as, as wonderful and necessary and comforting as having those people come alongside us is, when we think about the word Emmanuel, we're saying God is with us. We're saying that the creator and the sustainer of all things is with us. 
We're saying the one whom the angels sang glory to God in the highest, the one who healed the blind, the deaf, and the lame, the one who exercised power over demons, and they shook in his presence at the very mention of his name. We are talking about the one who said before he ascended into heaven, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That is who we are talking about being with us when we say, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so whether you need to hear that today because of the season you're in, or if it, something comes up tomorrow and you need to go back and remember this at that point, if you ever feel lost, you do not know where to go, he will be your guide. If you are hurting, if you are feeling alone, abandoned, or unloved, he can be a friend or a brother to you. If you are going through a trial, he is the comfort and the sustainer that when we are weak in relationship with him, we are strong. For it is God Almighty who is with you every day and in every season. We're speaking of Emmanuel who is God with us in this place and in this moment. But I know one other thing about this as well. That when we are in the midst of a difficult time, it can be very difficult to see that. That we're in the midst of a hardship, it can be hard to understand what God is doing. Even when we may hear the words, it can be still difficult to see that and understand it and even to believe it. Hard to believe the promise. But that is why it is so vitally important for us to remember something else. We also need to remember in those times that God was with us. That he was with you. And by saying that phrase, what we're doing is we're recalling past faithfulness that he has shown to us. In hopes that understanding where he has been in the past gives us confidence in the present. Even if I can't see what's happening here in this moment, I know he was with me in the past, which gives me confidence he's with me in the present. Now one of the greatest examples that we'll ever find of this in scripture is found in the story of Joseph from the Old Testament back in the book of Genesis. If you're not familiar with that whole story, or as a purpose of recap for you, you can read the whole story beginning in Genesis 37, where we find out that Joseph is the second youngest of Jacob's 12 sons, and that Joseph is the most beloved son of them all, to the point where his father actually gives him a special coat to identify him. Now, this is not typically good parenting skills, to tell your children which one is the favorite, because it tends to spark some, some rivalry and some challenge between, between them all. So if, if you haven't done that, we're thinking of doing it, I would caution you to keep that to yourself. Because <laughs> the others tend not to like it. But then to actually take it even further, to add even more attention to the situation, this most beloved son, Joseph, decides to tell his brothers and his father over dinner one day, you know what, guys, I'm having these dreams where I am the greatest. And you guys are serving me and bowing to me. And as you can imagine, the tension is building between Joseph and his brothers. And so one day, while they're out in the fields, Joseph comes out to visit them. And as they see him coming, they're like, there's that dreamer. There's that guy who thinks he's better than everybody else. Why don't we, why don't we, uh, why don't we beat him up? Why don't we beat him up and throw him in a pit and leave him for dead? Our lives would be so much easier if the beloved brother was no longer here anymore. And so they actually follow through on that plan. When he gets there, they, they beat him up and they throw him in a pit. Now, one brother has some compassion because they know if they just leave him, he's going to die. So one brother has compassion on him and says, no, no, instead of letting him die, why don't, why don't we sell him into slavery instead? Because so, that's the compassionate thing to do in that situation, right? 
And so as this caravan is passing by, they pull him out of the pit and they sell him into slavery. They take his coat, cover an animal's blood, and show it to the father and go, oh, your beloved son is dead. Who's your favorite now, dad? Right? <laughs> and, so, and so Joseph goes off into slavery while the family stays home in mourning. Now, Joseph is a teenager at this point. He sold into slavery. But we're told throughout the story that he continued to live a life of faithful devotion to God. That even when he encountered injustice, even when there were lies told about him, even when he is betrayed and thrown into prison, he remained faithful to God. Now, he could not possibly know what all was going on in his life beyond the moment, but he did see in some of those moments glimpses and experiences of God's presence. To the point where in the midst of the story, at a very pivotal point in the story, in Genesis 29, verse, or 39, verse 21, we're told that the Lord was with him in the midst of everything that was happening to him. And because of his character, his faithfulness, because of God's goodness, eventually, if you follow the story far enough, you find out that he is elevated to being second in command in all of Egypt. And God uses him to save countless people from a severe famine, including his father and brothers. And then we get to the end of the story. The end of the book of Genesis. We reach a climactic point in all of this where God's purposes and presence at the end become clear. And we read these words which have been so comforting to many people in different situations when Joseph says to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. You know, at times, whether we are in seasons of blessing or struggle, we're not always able to see what's happening, the bigger picture, in the middle of the moment. Sometimes we can catch glimpses of it. Sometimes we can catch glimpses of what God is doing, but it's, it's kind of like looking through an icy windshield or through a foggy windshield. You can, you can make out some detail, some direction, but you're not quite sure if it's safe to proceed. You're not quite sure what all is ahead of you until the window later clears, and you can see clearly. You know, I've encountered this many times in my own life, and I'm sure you have as well. And there can be great power to stop and think about these stories of the past. These times in the past when, when God has been there for us. You know, last week I was meeting with a person from, from the congregation here, and we were just sharing stories and journeys that we've had with, with Christ. And a number of times I said to him, you know, looking back, God was with us. God was with us. And I remember one story in particular when we first moved here, and, and I wasn't working. Nadine was working one and a half jobs at the time, and I was going to school full-time trying to do school and home. And, and money was tight. We were, we were committed to budgeting because, well, we had to. We had to make sure every single penny was accounted for. And sometimes, and this was a miracle in itself, the budget was literally to the penny that we had. We always had enough, even if it was to the penny, we had to shut, uh, cut out all the extras. But there was one time in particular that we were $300 short, and, and I didn't know what we were going to do. But we, we prayed about it. And we trusted that God had brought us this far, and our failure did not glorify Him, and that there was going to be a way through this. And so we were $300 short on this one budget. And the next day, Nadine goes to work, and as she walks into her office, there's an envelope on her keyboard. That just has her name on it. She opens the envelope and there's a check for $300 in there. And a group of Christian businessmen have been praying about what to do with some of this money. And I don't know if they knew us or how they heard about our situation. We were brand new to the town. We, hadn't, we didn't know anybody. But there it was. Through prayer, they felt this leading to give this $300 to her. God was with us financially 
in that moment. He was with us. I could go on for probably a few hours about the stories that things happened to us to bring us to Edmonton from where we were. But another one that um, we encountered was when Nadine and the kids wanted a dog. <laughs> I, don't, I, I like dogs, but it's just another mouth to feed, another responsibility for me. And so I figured, you know, maybe I can have my way instead. And so I said, if you can find a fully trained, one-year-old, purebred, healthy, supplies-included Shih Tzu at the right price, sure, you can have that. Well, God was with them. <laughs> God was with them 12 years ago <laughs> when we got Bailey. <laughs> and uh, God was with them because later that day, Nadine called me back and said, wouldn't you know it, there's a guy in St. Albert who just happens to have that. <laughs> so, and here we have Bailey. Anyways, there's all sorts of stories, <laughs> some more serious than others, of how God is with people. And I'm sure you have these stories too. And there's, the thing about these stories is each time we have one, we reach a moment of choice. You have a choice in that moment. You can either chalk it up to God's doing something, or you can go, eh, it's a coincidence. You have a choice in every single one of those moments. Either God is doing something, or it's a coincidence. But I know there are stories in this place and stories I've encountered over my years as a pastor where they decided to choose to believe God was doing something in providing a place to live and a bag of groceries arriving at just the right time, in the healing of a loved one, in the peace as a loved one passes. So when you look at your story, what has God done in the past of your story? And how has he used those moments to accomplish his will in your life? It's really important for us to know these stories and to look back and understand them. What about this church? But the decades of ministry and the decades of service that have happened within the walls of this church and before this church was even built to the people of this church. I know that there were seasons of struggle. I know that there were times of fruitfulness as well. Now I'm new here, as I mentioned a few moments ago, I've only been here for three months, but I've already heard many stories. I've heard of many encounters that people here have had where God's presence was known, where people have come to faith, where many have grown in the relationship with the Lord and the relationship with others. Stories of missionaries who have been sent around the world from within this body. There have been times of disagreement. There have been times of uncertainty for the future. But folks, here we are. Here we are in a season of growth. Here we are in a time when people are looking towards the future. And all of these stories serve to provide examples to us and remind us of God's goodness. And I hope and I pray today they give us reassurance that God has been with us. And through that knowledge, it provides encouragement for the present. It provides strength when our faith may fail in the moments ahead of us. And it also provides a legacy of stories for the next generation. Think about our children and our teens, of our young adults that are the next generation of this church. We need to know these stories to pass on to them, not so that they become the things of myth and legend, so that they become the things of foundational faith upon which they can stand. So that they can stand on our shoulders as they create new stories and create new legacies and new evidences of God's faithfulness for their children to come. We need to know these stories and take encouragement and faith in them. 
because they are enduring and they show glory to God. And as we consider that, and as we consider the season ahead of us in 2017, we need to be wise and discerning on how we use what God has blessed us with. But ladies and gentlemen, based upon the fact of God's presence with us in the past, based upon the fact that he is present with us now, I want to challenge you to consider how in 2017 we can step out in faith, confidence that he will be with us in those moments as well. That in the year ahead, we can step out in faith and trust in God to continue guiding, directing, and blessing the work of his hands that he is using us as conduits to fulfill in this church, in this area of Edmonton, and the people that he longs to call to us. Because whenever a person, whenever a family, a church, whenever even a nation will humble themselves and come before the Lord and lay their lives down before him, he is there. He is there in those moments. When we do that for the first time, He becomes our Savior. But then when we do it every time in every area of our life after that, He becomes our Lord. And in those moments, we can begin to look to the future with confidence, knowing that God will be with you in the future, in the days ahead. Now here's one thing I know about the future. Is that very rarely are we given the big picture Very rarely do we understand all the future will encompass until we actually get there. When Joseph was thrown down into a pit and sold into slavery, when he was in prison, did he know one day he would stand before Pharaoh as a second in command? He had no idea what God was doing. But the day came, and looking back, we know confidently he can say, the Lord was with me because he allowed all this to happen and was involved in this for his good. When God called me to ministry... If he had told me that later on in the journey I would be standing here as a lead pastor, as somebody who was preaching each week, I would have said, no way. Forget that. I was already resistant to it as it was, but if I knew this was where it ended, I would have been ten times more resistant than I was. I probably not even would have taken the first step. I would have found even more reasons. But God, i got a fear of public speaking. God, I don't have strong enough character to do this. I don't know if I have the leadership abilities to do this. God, I don't like Christians very much. (laughs) God, I have a negative view of those happy Sunday morning preacher persons. You want me to be one? Now, in his wisdom, he only revealed to me what I needed to know. He only revealed to me what I could handle in that moment. And looking back, I can have unwavering confidence that God was with me. Which means that when I look forward, I can have confidence that he will continue to be with me when I walk according to his will and according to his ways. The same principle can be found in in the events surrounding the birth and life of Jesus. As we mentioned earlier, it began with an angel announcing to Mary, saying, the Lord will be with you. Now in that moment, God began to personally and eternally be available to all of us. Starting with the incarnation of of God in flesh, which is realized in the birth of Jesus. But then later in his life, as people witnessed and experienced his life, we see that at Jesus' baptism, as he was teaching, as he was calling others to follow him, by the example he lived in the world, by the healings that he performed. 
until the very end when he was betrayed, arrested, wrongly accused, when he was tried and then he was flogged and then finally executed upon a cross. But that's not the end of his story. That's just Good Friday. Because on Easter Sunday, we also remember that he is the risen, ascended, glorified Lord. And looking back at all these things, because of his birth, his life, his death, and because of his resurrection, we can have confidence and assurance that he is with us. And Paul spoke of it this way. When he posed this question to us, he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us? As we look to the future of the days ahead of the situations, there will be moments of blessing. I can guarantee you there will be moments of trial as well. But in the midst of all of those seasons, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Shall hardship? What about persecution? What about famine? About nakedness of danger? What about the sword? No. He says, in none of these things, there is nothing. Because in all of these things, we are conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, there is nothing in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of who he is. Because of who he is because of what he has accomplished, because of what he has promised, and because of the words that he will never leave us. So many times when we talk about what Jesus has done, of how it can impact and enrich and bring fulfillment to our lives, so often it is because of what he has done, and I don't think very many times, if ever, it has much to do with what we have done. Our confidence is in him. He has been with us. He is with us. And that gives us confidence and assurance that he will be with us because nothing can separate us. Nothing we can do. Nothing in this world can happen to separate us from the love of God because of who he is, what he has accomplished. So it doesn't matter if we have fears, if we have doubts. It doesn't matter if we have theological questions that are unresolved. These are important things we need to pay attention to, but they will not separate us from the love of God. It doesn't matter if we are haunted by failures, by mistakes, or by our shortcomings. That cannot separate us from the love of God. Because we can have confidence that God loves you. He loves you and wants to be with you. And that he has been with you. Because God is with you, was with you, and will be with you in the days ahead. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. And there's only one question that remains. There's one question that remains. Are you with him? Are you willing to walk with him? As the worship team comes forward, I invite you to consider that question. Are you with him? God's with you. And more than anything else, he wants to reveal to you his love and his character, his nature, his goodness. He wants these things to be known in your life. And he wants you to be with him. Loving him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He proved this to us through his birth and his death. Through his resurrection. And in those moments he also proved to us that he is not far off. That he is a relational God. Who came to set us free from sin. Who came so that we could know him. So that we could serve him. And that we could have eternal life with him. 
And so this Christmas, whenever we sing that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, may it not just be a reminder of the Christmas story, but may it also be a personal cry of our hearts as we cry out to the Lord, Come, God. O Come, O Come, Lord our God, we long to be with you as you are with us.